we're going to talk through a thought today, all right? We're going to call God the just, and we're going to do this out of Romans 3. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn there. We'll be there in just a few minutes, but uh, we'll re read kind of the middle portion of this text uh, as we think about God being a just God. But uh, before we get into that, we always like to talk a little bit. So when you think of the word just, what do you think of? What's it bring to mind? Fair, okay? Okay, yeah, right, get what you deserve. Like, is this something that you praise God for or worship God for very often? Like, for me, this just doesn't roll off my lips real easy, like with really connected to something in me. And we praise God because he's faithful and because he's holy, because he's gracious and merciful and loving and kind and he comforts and gives us peace and joy and life and all these things we praise him for. How long has it been since you've praised God for being just? It's one of those attributes of God. It's just kind of hard sometimes to, am I supposed to praise him for being just? Right? Uh, and so you're right. We think about being deserved or we think about things being fair. And that's exactly what, uh, what I had written down here. So if somebody gets justice, they get what they deserve. And we say that that is right. Right? God's justice, by the way, is closely connected with his righteousness and holiness. Justice and righteousness have the same root word. Uh, in, the, in the original language. So you'll find that they're used interchangeably often in the scriptures. Okay? And so we might think of the word deserved or we might think of unfair. And we live in a world that often reminds us that life is not fair. Right? I was just talking with some students recently here and we played, uh, we played this standing long jump game, broad jump game. You had to stand at a line. Everybody lined up. You had to jump as far as you could. So these sixth grade boys really got into that. Oh, we could jump so far, jump so far, jump so far. Well, the last girl in line, I had her come up about halfway past the line and jump from there, and she out-jumped everybody. So I put her name on the board and made a big celebration over her. What was the rest of the class saying? Oh, man, they were not happy. That is not fair, Mr. Penn, and erase her name. And I mean, they weren't having it. And so then I had some candy and I went around and passed out candy to everybody. And just different people got one and some people got five and some people got three. And so a person who got one looks at the person beside him who got five and they're like, why'd you get five? And so, I mean, all around the room, hands are up. Mr. Penn, I only got one. Like, well, that's, that's what you get, right? And so they screamed out, it's not fair. This is not fair. And they weren't very happy with me. Uh, and so I taught them that lesson. Life is not fair, Okay. Listen, by the way, God is not fair. Not in the way we want him to be. He's impartial, but he, he's not equality. All right? Everybody gets the same gifts. Everybody has the same kind of plan or purpose for their life. It's all different, right? If it was all the same, I'd have hair or you wouldn't. So take your choice there. It's the way he's made us, right? So we cry out a lot of times, it's not fair, God. It's not fair. So it was... This never happened to me, hypothetically speaking. Uh, if you were driving down the interstate, running about 75, and somebody passes you, and you know they're going at least 80 or 85, uh, but a policeman pulls you over, and you get a ticket, would you share with him or her that, you know, somebody just passed me. Why didn't you pull them over? You'd probably share that, right? Oh, I caught you first. Hmm. Yeah. Well, just being a good citizen, though, you'd probably like to point out 
if you hurry up, I bet you can still catch that. I bet they're still speeding. Right? So, no, it didn't work that way for you, huh? Nope. All right. Well, we'd probably cry out unfair in, in a moment like that. We want mercy, right? That's what, yeah, I told the students, you don't want God to be fair, right? We don't want him to just be just. That's right, yeah. But we're pretty good at hoping that other people get what they deserve, right? I don't want what I deserve, but God give them what they deserve. Sometimes, and that's just me, that's not you. I know you guys are full of grace and compassion and mercy. Uh, some of you students, you've been in classrooms before and a, maybe a teacher calls you out, and you, we've all been there, calls you out for talking, right? And so that's right, you get called out. Well, then the rest of the class, some of them are talking, but they never get called out. What are you going to go home and tell your parents? Oh, that's not fair. That is not fair. Were you talking? Yeah, I was talking, but they were too, and they didn't get in trouble. Or maybe it happened with a sibling. You know, the people who get in trouble are usually the reactors, isn't it? You see them on a basketball court or a football field or something like that. It's usually not the guy that throws the first punch, pushes somebody that gets caught. It's the person that reacts to that. Right, so somebody nudges and the official doesn't see that. And somebody turns around and boom, flag comes out. Right, you get thrown out of the game. Well, that's not fair. He did what? He pushed me first. He started it, right? So we are people who often want to cry out, this is just not fair. Some of you in your work, you've had to work in projects with people. Right? And it wasn't just you doing it. It was other people helping you along the way, but the other people got all the credit. And your boss just praised them. Maybe they got a promotion as a result of that or they're getting some, some special treatment. They were, got some special recognition. What do we say under their, our breath? That's not fair. They didn't do anything. Right? I did all the work and they get all the credit. And I can't believe this is how this is going to play out. And we're just not real happy about it. Right? So we understand deserved. We understand fairness. Uh, one last one here, and this is kind of the season of life I'm in right now. Like, when you watch uh, students eat, they can just seemingly eat and eat and eat upon as much as they want. And it has no effect on their body, right? And we look at food and just start gaining weight. Is that true? That's not true for you. That's true for me. I know, like, I just can't eat what I used to be able to eat. My body doesn't process things like it once did. So I think that's not fair. That's just not fair. But even when things are not always fair here or just... What we're going to see today is God is. There's never a moment where he's not just. And there's never a moment that he's not worthy of praise because he is a God of justice. And so Romans chapter 3 is something that we're going to uh, work through here as we think about God being a just God. And we're going to try to answer a question that Paul asks in, uh, in this text. And then we're going to see how this applies to our life. Like how do I live this out? Um, how do I live out the justice of God in a way that displays um, glory and honor or brings glory and honor to God and is uh, helpful for the people around me. So you can follow along on the wall as always or on your own Bible there this morning. So when we get to verse 19, Paul's already asked some questions here. The first couple chapters he's talked about like how we're sinners and he drives it home pretty well. Sixty some verses about how terrible we are. Right? And all the things that we do and how he's turned us over to our sin nature because we just love the created stuff. We just don't love the creator. So he's really making us understand the bad news of the gospel so he can get to the good news of the gospel. And so in this, he's going to find a question. And 
Here's the question. Let's go ahead and ask it. If God is just, how can he forgive sinners? Really, the theme of chapter 3 could be summarized with that question. If God is a just God, which means people get what? They get what they deserve. Then how can he, how can he say with any kind of integrity, I'm just and you get forgiveness? Right? Those seem like they, they, they don't agree. They can't work together. And that was an issue that some of the people Paul was talking to were dealing with. And that's still an issue here in our day. So... Let's read through this and we'll try to ask and answer that question again and then we'll see how it applies to our life. So, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced. How many mouths? All right, every mouth. And the whole world held accountable to God. So, who is not accountable to God? Right, no one. Everybody on the planet is accountable to God. Every mouth will be silenced. The whole world is accountable to God um, because we're all under the law. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. You can't do good and be made right with God. Rather, through the law, we become what? All right, so the law helps us see where we miss the mark. The standard of God is the law, and it's perfect. And when we look at it, we go, I don't measure up. I don't meet all the criteria. I sin. Okay? So the law makes us conscious of sin. So it's not keep more of the law and you get in good favor with God. That's impossible. All it does is expose us, help us understand that, we are sinners. But now, right, a big gap between verse 20 and 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, right, before the cross, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And he did it to demonstrate as well his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And so here it is. I want to work through these seven verses and look at God the just, try to answer the question, and try to make some application to our life today. All right, so initially here, the, the just God is going to uphold. He's going to uphold the standard that all must be perfect. Okay, so what's the question? If God is a just God, how can he do what? How can he forgive sinners? Right, that just seems like it's not possible. You either have to be perfect or not. And so we're going to see initially here that a just God is not somebody who sets aside the standard or says, there, there, it's okay, but he's going to have the standard perfectly met. Now, let's put this in a scenario. Let's say that someone just broke into our house right now. What did we say here a few weeks ago? How often does somebody break into someone's house in this country? Every 15 seconds. Every 15 seconds is what the statistic tells us in this country. Somebody's house is broken into. So let's say that for every one of us, our house was just broken into. And somebody has ransacked our house. They've taken some of our valuables. And our neighbor has watched all this happen. And so we get home. Our house is a mess. We call the police. They come and do their uh, investigation. All right, let's fast forward then to 
the courtroom setting. And so we're in the courtroom with our defense. Uh, they're in the courtroom with their defense, the supposed thief. And all the evidence is presented. So they found your fingerprints on everything. Let's say that we all had surveillance cameras. And so we've got you on video. We've got neighbors testifying that you were the thief or you were the person who did this. The jury would hear all this. They'd go talk about it and come back. And they'd probably say what? Guilty, right? With all this evidence, they would say guilty. Now, when we're sitting there, how would we feel? What would we say has just happened? Would we say that is just? Right, we would say that is justice, right? They're getting what they deserve. And so whatever punishment is the result of that is, is entirely okay. Now, what if the judge has said, listen, all this evidence is stacked against you. We know that you did it. You're on video. We've got eyewitness. We've got fingerprints. We know it's you. But you know what? We're just going to let you go. And so we're not going to put these charges on your record you're not going to have to pay any fines. Um, you're not going to have to serve any time. We're just going to ask you to be good. Right? So go on here and just, just try to be a better citizen than you have been up to this point. Now in that same courtroom, what are you crying out? Are you going to sit there and take it? No. Well, you might under the uh, advice of your counselor, right? Don't say a word. Don't say a word. Let me speak for you. But I'd probably have to say something. Excuse me, Your Honor, that's not fair. All this evidence, they tore up my house. You're going to let them go. Like, you're a corrupt judge. You're supposed to uphold the law. And all you're doing is just, exactly, right? You're supposed to do this. And the problem I have with you is, I don't trust you now. Right? Why would I ever believe in a justice system if we're not going to uphold justice? And so I wouldn't even mess with it anymore. Somebody breaks in my house, I'm not going to take you to court. What's the point? It costs me money, you get off free. They're corrupt. They're not going to uphold the law. Well, if the standard is perfection and God's letting sinners go free, doesn't that make God corrupt? If he's a just God and we're all supposed to meet the standard and none of us do and he says you can be forgiven, how can that be? And that's the question that's being asked prior to the verses that we read here. And Paul goes through this whole thing. There's none righteous, no not run, and everybody has sinned, and all their hearts on evil all the time. How can God do that and still be called a just God? Well, let's go back and read it. Here's how. God presented Christ. He presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. I was asked this morning, why are we singing so many songs about blood? What's the blood about? Well, here's what it's about. Through the shedding of blood, there is atonement. That's how the perfect standard is going to be met. And then we receive that by faith. He did this, God, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished, kind of like on credit. And then he did it also to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just. Right, so the primary difference between the scenario that I gave you about being in a courtroom setting and what Paul outlines here in Romans chapter 3 is very simply this. God is able to do what we cannot do. We cannot uphold justice and extend mercy at the same time. God can. And he does so in the person of Jesus Christ. And so he upholds this, the perfection standard uh, 
by putting Jesus on that cross. And when Jesus shed his blood, when he died, that paid the price for how much sin? For all sin, past, present, and future. Okay? So is the standard met? Or did God just say, eh, your sin's not a big deal. I'll let you go this time. No, it's a very big deal. And the only way it could be satisfied is that someone had to be perfect and that perfect person had to die for all people. And so God gave his son Jesus who lived on this planet and was perfect who willingly gave his life to pay the price to satisfy the wrath of, to shed the blood for all those who would put their faith in him. And so Christ took upon himself all the sin that would ever be committed. And in so doing, he met the standard. And in meeting the standard then, God is not unjust when he forgives sinners, right? Because the standard has been met. What's the wages of sin? Death. What did Jesus do? He died. And the Hebrew says that he died once for all. And so in Christ, you have the standard met. Right? How long will Jesus live? Right? Forever. Eternally. Why is that eternally important? That's right. Because the standard will be eternally met. So he's not just going to pass away. Then all of a sudden we're going to have to be accountable again for our sin. The one who died once for all has met the standard once for all. And therefore God is not unjust when he extends forgiveness to sinners. Standards met in Jesus. And the result then is he can offer us forgiveness. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Right? What can, we, what can we put in the place of that word righteousness? Right? It's justice or it's just that we may be made right with God. Those words can often be used interchangeably. So God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that he could then extend forgiveness to sinful people. So when God offers forgiveness, he's not a judge who just lets people go free and there's no consequence. Right? We say, that's corrupt. You're not upholding the law. No, God met the law, and he met it in Christ, and that allows him then to extend mercy and grace to sinful people, people like you and I. And so he upholds the standard that all must be perfect. And if he doesn't, then he's not a just God. And if he doesn't do that, we have no reason to worship him or to pursue him for any reason whatsoever because he's not worthy. Right? He would be corrupt. He would be partial. But he's totally not partial, and that's all because of the price was paid in Christ. Secondly, here, the just God is going to do some initiating. He's going to initiate a right relationship with us. And for me, you know, this is one of those thoughts, if you dwell on it very long, it becomes overwhelming. God being the initiator. God being the one who starts things. So, would you initiate a relationship with somebody that doesn't like you? If they've made it very clear, I don't like you. Are you thinking to yourself, oh man, this person really needs to be my friend. I need to get to know them better. I just want to spend more time with this person that doesn't really like me. What about if somebody's hostile towards you? Making fun of you, picking on you at school, not including you at work. Um, just not really wanting to be a part of you, somebody who's just kind of always tearing you down or pointing out your flaws in front of other people? Or are you thinking, man, I just, I want to be around that person. You know, we're probably thinking to ourselves, I'm probably not going to spend as much time with that person as others will. 
What about somebody that doesn't care for you? You ever had that person in your life? I don't care. I don't care if you live or die. You mean nothing to me. Well, can I be your friend? No. I like That doesn't draw us in. That doesn't make us want to invest there. Uh, or if somebody says, I don't believe in you, you'll never amount to anything. You were born nothing and you'll die nothing. You're just worthless. And there are people who live their life and that's what they're told. Right? First breath to last breath. They just, you don't, you're unnecessary. Nobody loves you. Nobody wants you. So somebody tells you and I that, are we going to initiate a relationship? Are we going to pursue that person? Are we going to demonstrate love to them and try to let them know that we care? And we've got all of our nice little phrases, don't we? They kind of justify the way that we want to live. You know, and I see them posted sometimes, but things like, um, life's too short to be around negative people. Or life's, life's too short to tolerate people like that or all sorts of things like that. Like, we have all of our reasons to justify why we can't do something and why we're not going to do something. God has this reason for justifying why he is going to do something. Right? Why he has done something. Why he will do something. And let's go back and read it here. We see it in verse 26. It says, He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just, right? He's holding up the standard. Sin's been paid for in Christ. And the one who does what? Justifies. And so he is just and he is the justifier. That means he is the initiator. He is the one who steps our direction first. And so God moves towards us in love first, right? Remember, 1 John tells us that we love him because he first loved us, Right? He initiated it. Now, Romans 5.8, just a couple chapters later here, Paul writes and says, even while we were sinners, what did Christ do? He died for us. And even while we were sinners, God showed love and that he gave his son to die for us. And so when we think about these things, we see here that God, even though we we're sinners, we want nothing to do with him. He initiated it. I hate you, God. I love you. I don't want anything to do with you. Oh, I want everything to do with you. I don't ever want him. You don't exist to me. Oh, I've known you before existence. And he's just constantly for you. He's constantly initiating. He's constantly working there to help people understand these things. And so even though we were sinners, he moved our direction first. Listen, what do we often do when we sin? You say, well, there's lots of things we do. But I think sometimes we try to be our best solution. We try to come up with an answer that's apart from God. And this is not new, right? I mean, we're doing it in our culture now. God doesn't exist. Does that mean he doesn't exist? No. People can say whatever they want to say. You know, I tell people I'm an eight-foot-tall Hispanic woman. No, you're not. I can believe whatever I want to believe. Just because I believe it and say it doesn't make it true. Just because you say God doesn't exist doesn't make it true, right? But we say things all the time to justify how we want to live. So when it comes to sin, some people say, oh, it's not sin. You're just getting better. Like, it's really not even a failure. It's just, it's kind of a, just a little setback here, and it's just going to make you a better person. It's going to make our family and society and culture, community, world, it's just going to make us better. We're evolving. We're constantly getting better and better and better. Only history doesn't support that. Right? We're constantly sinning, 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 sinning. We're not becoming more and more moral. We're becoming just the opposite. 
so when we sin, sometimes when we set God aside, we try to become our own best solution. Think about Adam and Eve. What's the first thing they did when they sinned? What'd they do? Well, even before that, right? Yeah, so they did both those things. They covered themselves, right? So all of a sudden, they're conscious. They're guilty. Did that, did that take care of their conscience? Oh, phew. Thanks for covering up, Eve. Thanks for coming up, Adam. I feel much better now. My conscience is relieved. And they didn't feel better. They were trying to be their own best solution, but they just couldn't fix their problem. Right? And so if God doesn't initiate it our direction, all we try to do is come up with the best solution to take care of us. And we just never come up with anything because there is no solution other than God. So what they do after that? They went and hid. Right? Who are they hiding from? They're hiding from God. So here's something to think about. I mean, you always lose at hide and seek with God. Right? Every time. David said, where can I go and flee from your presence? The answer? Nowhere. And so they've covered themselves with fig leaves and they're hiding in the woods somewhere thinking, oh, God will never find us. But he did. Trying to be your own best solution to your sin problem doesn't work. So then after that, what do they do? They start making excuses. They start trying to justify why they did it. Did that satisfy their conscience? No. And so what do they do next? They start blaming. Adam said it's Eve. Eve said it's the serpent, right? We just push it on others. And what we're thinking is, if I can get the spotlight off me and on somebody else, then I'll feel better. It just takes care of my problem. The only problem is it doesn't. It doesn't work. So when we try to be our own best solution, all we really find out is that we're our worst nightmare. Right? We can't appease our conscience. We can't remove our guilt. We can't satisfy that kind of longing within that needs to be resolved. Uh, and if God had left us on our own, that's all we would have. But thankfully, God was not that way. He has initiated a relationship with us. That is, he has reached our direction before we would ever reach his. We see that in Adam and Eve as well. What did they do after they sinned? What did God do for them? Right? This is the first recorded death in the Bible. Death of an animal. We're not sure what animal. Maybe it was a lamb. What do they do with the animal? Right, God made clothing for them. Right? He clothed them in that sacrifice. All the imagery there of what Jesus was going to do. Then he banned them from the garden. We say, oh, that was terrible. No, that was for their good. Right? They were set out of the garden so they wouldn't eat of the tree of like life and live forever in that sinful condition. And so God displayed mercy. He displayed grace, even though at the same time he's demonstrating justice. Just God, death must occur, but at the same time he initiated what was necessary for them to even have an opportunity to continue in a relationship with him. And so he steps our direction first long before, uh, well, we never would step or reach his direction if he didn't reach our direction first. And so that is to say there at the end of verse uh, 26 there, he is not only just, but he is the one who justifies. He's the initiator. All right, and third here, the just God is going to do some things, and these are promises. He'll justify all who have faith in Jesus. So what's it mean to us that he justifies us? What's it mean that I'm justified? Like, how often do we sing like worship because I'm justified or we go through our day with gladness and joy because we're justified, right? That, that just thing of God sometimes just 
just has a, a, a different hold on us. One thing it means is that we're forgiven. So how would you feel? You turn in an assignment and it stinks and the teacher gives you an F on it. But the teacher says, hey, listen, I'm just going to wipe that grade away. How would you feel about that? We're not going to hold that one against you. Are you okay with that? Or you're working and you've got a pretty significant contract that you end up losing for the company. You cost the company thousands of dollars and your boss says, hey, listen, I know you're working hard. We're just going to let that one go. You'd probably be okay with that, right? What if that teacher in return said, I, listen, this is F work and that's what you got. Here's an A+. Plus. Would you take it? I know you just cost us thousands, but I'd like to give you a bonus. Would you take it? That's what forgiveness looks like from God. Right? When we think of grace, it's not just sin forgiven, but it becomes this undeserved forgiveness. It's part of what it means to be justified. There's this other word that goes with it that is the word pardoned. Uh, how many of your sins and my sins are pardoned? Oh, so my past sin, my present sin, but what other sin? Future. Okay? Now, what would you think of a judge in a courtroom setting back with that thief who says, hey, listen, if you don't straighten your life, straighten your life up, you commit more crime, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you I'll pardon those crimes as well. You'd say it's time to vote. When does the next election cycle come around? Because you are out. You're a terrible judge. Yet that's exactly what God does. He forgives our past sin and present. He's already forgiven the sin you and I have yet to commit. He's the only judge who pardons the future. And so it's forgiveness. It's being pardoned of all sin. It's to be made right with God. Now, it's not innocent because we are guilty. It's not as though I've, I've never sinned. We use that phrase just as if I've, ever, I've never sinned, and that's true in how God sees us. But when I sin, it doesn't make me innocent. It makes me righteous. Right? God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become innocent. No, so that in him we might become righteous. We might become the righteousness of God. And one of the beautiful things about justification is that it happens how quickly? Boom, it's instantaneous, right? Spiritual growth, becoming like Christ, lifelong journey, right? Justification, boom, point of belief, right? Sometimes that happens at an altar, but most of the time before you there, it's already happened. Because why are you even moving that direction? Sometimes it happens in a car seat. And before you've even said the words, God's seen what's on your heart, and it's just boom, instantaneous, Right? Justified. And so who is this for? Well, let's go back and see what Paul says. This righteousness is given through faith, right? Through faith in Jesus Christ to whom? To all who believe. And there's no difference, right? No difference, Jew and Gentile. Doesn't matter who the person is. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how much you've sinned, how little you've sinned. Everybody who has faith, all who believe in Christ, this righteousness is given. And it's for everybody because everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace to the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So here we see again, this is available to everyone. And it's that word faith. Verse 26, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just. Okay, I upheld the standard. It's been met in Jesus. I'm the one who justifies. I initiate it. You didn't love me. I loved you first. I'm coming your direction. 
Uh, and this is for those who have faith in Jesus. And so within this text here, several times you'll find the word faith or believe used. It's for those who have faith. It's for those who will believe. And so it's offered to anyone. So we need to think about this, right? Under the Christian faith, who can come? All can come. And there's no requirements. There's no requirements. Doesn't matter color. Doesn't matter your social class. Doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your political view. It doesn't matter how well you've got it going on and how terrible you've been. None of that matters when it comes to being justified. It's for everyone. So anyone can come regardless. We can come regardless of failures. The only condition is what? It's faith or it's belief. And that same chapter, chapter 3 tells us faith, belief is not a work. Right? That would be part of the law. This is not under the law. Right? This is something that we put in the one who has justified us. And so when you come to Christ, right, let's be clear, we don't come to give something to him. What do we do? We come to receive. Here, Jesus, let me tell you why it's worth it for you to save me. Why I'd be a good person on your team. Here's why you should recruit me and want me on your team. We don't do that. Let me offer something to you. We just come as we are and we receive from him. And in return, we, we surrender. But that surrender never earns or gains salvation. When you come to Christ, you don't give, you receive. When you come, it's not about you and I trying our best. But it's simply about you and I trusting in Jesus Christ. You don't come to be helped, but you come to be rescued. And you don't come to be made better. You come to be made alive. And all of that happens for anyone who will place their faith, believe in Jesus Christ. God will justify all who have faith in Jesus. Right? So these are some of the things that help us understand the justice of God. Does he uphold the standard? Yes. The only way he can offer mercy and grace without being corrupt is to uphold the standard. And he does so in the person of Christ. The only way you and I could ever be justified is if he reaches our direction because God knows we would never turn our hearts his direction first. And so the spirit woos. It seeks to win our hearts. He seeks to win our hearts, our souls. He draws us. So then in return, as we believe, then we're justified. And that happens just like that. You guys know William Cowper? You heard of him? William Cowper is like 1700s, 18th century English poet. And his mother died at a young age, about six years old. And so he was sent to a boarding school. And for most of his life, he was bullied and mistreated. And so these older boys, they would literally beat him. Right? Not just say bad things about him, but they would physically abuse and and harm him. And so this had a, just a major effect on how he viewed his self-worth, his value. And so into his 20s, he tried several times to take his own life and never was successful. But it ended up putting him in this insane asylum. And while he was there, it said he was often heard crying out, my sin, my sin, oh, for some fountain for my cleansing. 
Right now, we don't speak that way today. So remember, this is back in the 1700s. Well, at this insane asylum, there was a Christian counselor. And this Christian counselor tried to work with William. Gave him a Bible and talked him through uh, some of the things that we've talked through today. Well, when William got to Romans chapter 3 and he read the text that we read today, he said for the first time in his life, he saw it. That he was a sinner but that God would and God had already done something to take care of his sin. That he could be made right with God. And he said, in that moment I believed and in that moment I knew that my sin had been forgiven and I had been made right with God. He says, I saw the sufficiency of Christ. I saw my pardon in his blood. And I saw the fullness and completeness of his justification. Now, because of what he experienced as a young boy, he spent the rest of his life battling depression, really battling self-worth, felt like most people were against him. But one of the ways God used this guy's life and used and ministered to him was he taught him to write. He taught him to write down some things that could be valuable not only for him, but for other people as well. And part of that we sang this morning. William Cowper wrote... There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And what William would say to us today, all right, the blood that justified me, abused, neglected, didn't really even know that I was in need of God, is the same God who would do that for you and he's the same God who will do that for anybody. And so not only has God encouraged his heart and built him through his own gift there of writing, but God has used him to minister to people just like you and I today. Right? The dying thief rejoiced to see the fountain in his day, and there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Right? I, I, that's a song that carries weight for me. It has value in my life. Sing it however you want. All, right? all kinds of artists sing it multiple ways. But the words in that just, it adds value to me. It's very, uh, it's one of those that I see. Uh, so maybe you're here this morning and you may not be abused like uh, William was. But maybe you find yourself in the same position where you're realizing that apart from Christ, you're unjustified, which makes you accountable for your sin. The only way you get made right with God apart from Christ is be perfect. And I would say it wouldn't take very long in conversation for you and I to realize you're not perfect, right? It definitely wouldn't take very long for me to tell you I'm not perfect. And I admit that humbly here this morning. But I do so because I have been made right through someone who's justified me. No merit of my own, right? My list is long of things that I, reasons I don't deserve, mercy and grace. Reasons why I do deserve God to just be just with me. But maybe here this morning this is just settling in on you. I've been in church for a long time but I have never really received Jesus Christ. Apart from Christ I'm accountable for my sin. And I'm not perfect so that forever separates me from God in a place the Bible calls hell. Right? God tells us here today I'm patient the reason I haven't come is because I'm waiting for you and I'm drawing you and I want you to repent and understand that in me I'll make you right. Not only will I forgive your sin, I'll pardon your sin. And those yet to be committed, 
And in this moment, I will justify you. I'll make you right with my Father. Maybe you're here and you'd say, no, I know that I have trusted in Jesus Christ. Remember this, it's always the perfection of Christ. That's our only plea. Right? We sang that here this morning as well. That's my only plea. You know, do you ever feel like, like some weeks I feel like I've done pretty well, so I feel closer to God. What's that based on? It's just based on me, isn't it? Like, oh, I've, and I haven't had it together, but I may feel like I have. And so God, I just must be closer to God. Then there's other weeks where I've just bombed. Just totally, missed, like, wasted a week. And so I feel like I'm super distant from God. And where there's sin, there can be separation and fellowship. But God's love for me is never dependent on how well I do. And so often, I try to keep justifying me. And here's why I'm worth it. And God, I've done pretty well this week, so I must be maybe one of your favorite sons this week. And I've really messed it up, so I'll stand at the end of the line. Right? I know I should be getting what comes to me. Just remember, it's not about how well you do and how bad you do. Your justification is not about you. It's about your belief in what Jesus has done for you and what he's done for me. And by the way, remember that when you look at people sitting around you. Remember that when you think about other Christians in your life who've hurt you. And sometimes we want to hold a grudge. You know, there's a good quote in our fusion guide. I think it goes something like, if I hold a, a grudge, I don't trust the judge. And so it's on my end to exact justice. Remember the same God that justified you has justified them. And the same God that's showing you mercy and grace and me mercy is showing them mercy and grace. Is it easy? No. Is it complicated? Maybe the situation is, but the call is not. What did Jesus say our two things? What's our marching orders every day? The Pharisees said, let's do 614 things. Jesus said, no, let's just do two. How about this? How about you love God with all you've got? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then just love other people as you love yourself. And when you lay your head down at the end of the day, just evaluate your day based on those two things. God, have I loved you with my whole heart? And have I tried to love people around me, those who are easy to love and those who are hard to love? Just remember that. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to me as well. If they're believers, they're justified. And they're part of the family. Right? They may be in a process of growth that requires us to be in a process of growth as well. But you know what? So are we. And so that was one of the reminders that I had as I was studying through this week. Corey, just remember, if God has justified you, he's justified everyone who's looked to him in faith. And then remember as well that all can be justified. So that person that's against us speaks ill. Right? That person who's of a different religion that wants to annihilate us, they can be changed. The person who's of a different political bent, whatever it may be, they can be changed not just to see things our way, but they can be justified. And that person that believes you can be whoever you want to be regardless of how you were born, that person can be justified. Right? So rather than drawing lines or making judgments, 
working to pray and ask God just to continue to work. Help other people that don't know you understand what you've done for them. And help me to never forget that either. So.